Half an hour later, it still hadn't let up. The windshield wipers slapped at the relentless torrents, drowning out the CD. Her hands were cramped from gripping the wheel, the muscles in her neck felt like gristle, and her eyes couldn't seem to adjust to the darkness. Another trucker with a death wish roared past. The Volvo shuddered. The puppy continued to howl. All right, all right, she said, barely able to hear her voice above the storm. I give. She would have to stop for the night. As soon as she made the decision, the exit and motel signs, plentiful until now, seemed to disappear, and it took another fifteen minutes before she saw the golden arches of a McDonald's and a purple neon motel sign up ahead. Flooring the accelerator, she swung off the highway, climbed a steep rise to an overpass, squinted through the downpour at the signs, made a right onto a rutted side road, then bumped and splashed into a desolate parking lot. She turned off the motor. The puppy stopped keening, and even though the rain pounded the roof like the rockets dancing on tin, it seemed strangely quiet. She rested her head on the steering wheel and closed her eyes. Here she was, on her way to the first real job of her life, stranded in front of a run-down motel off Interstate 65. What a beginning. Opening her eyes, she reached for her purse and tilted her head to see the neon sign. One of the letters had been burned out, so it said, Seepy Time, instead of Sleepy Time. She'd never stayed in such a seedy place. In fact, she'd never stayed alone in any motel or hotel. With a punch-drunk giggle, she reached for the door handle, said, Keep calm, in the direction of the back seat, and made a dash for it. A gust of wind slammed the motel door behind her, and she stood, dripping, and breathing in a strong smell of curry. A beaded curtain parted, and a middle-aged woman emerged. She was dressed in a pink and orange sari, bracelets jangling on pudgy wrists, a single long braid draped over her shoulder, and food pouched her cheeks. After swallowing, she said with inappropriate cheeriness, "'Nasty weather. Very nasty.' Too tired to mask her surprise, she asked, Do you have a vacancy? Though the lone truck and single late-model Oldsmobile in the parking lot already answered that question. The woman studied her with slightly bulging but warmly curious eyes, touched the plastic badge pinned to her left breast that said, Mrs. V. Patel, manager, then asked, Single? She almost said, not yet. The divorce wouldn't be final for another six months. Before she got out, yes, just me. Smoking or non-smoking? She hadn't smoked for over a decade, but feeling a craving for a Marlboro, said no with quick defensiveness. This will be thirty-three fifty plus tax. Picking something from her teeth, Mrs. Patel added, in a masterpiece theater accent. We have also on offer movies in the rooms, and she waved in the direction of a card table holding a pot of tar-like coffee, a bowl of bananas, and packages of cornflakes. Continental breakfast. Cash or credit card? Credit card. 
easy enough to find the MasterCard, since she'd cut up all the others. She slid it across the counter. Mrs. Patel pushed a registration form toward her, and she began to fill it in. Name. Bonnie Duke Coleman. Retaining her maiden name, Duke, had been more an expression of family pride than a feminist gesture, but she was glad she'd kept it. Soon she'd be just Bonnie Duke again, which seemed like her real identity. Address. She put down the address of her Atlanta house, though, strictly speaking, she no longer lived there. She hadn't met the Japanese executive who'd leased it and was scheduled to move in later that week, but the real estate lady had assured her that Mr. Hyodo had been charmed by both her decorating and gardening skills. She pictured him moving through her sunroom, wife and children following at an appropriate distance, contemplating her plants with zen serenity. Business affiliation. None yet, but soon. License number of vehicle. She'd been driving the Volvo for four years, but was damned if she could remember. Looking through the window at the slashing rain, she said lamely, I should know it, but I can't seem to recall. This is okay. Sometimes when we are... Mrs. Patel turned her palms up and rolled her eyes, mimicking confusion. Just please to show me your driver's license. Bonnie didn't think it was customary to require a driver's license, but she was too tired to argue. Mrs. Patel studied it, grunting softly. That's me. Bonnie Duke Coleman, born in 1950, five feet six inches, 135 pounds. All right, it's more like 150 now. Eyes blue. At one time, her husband, DeVoe, had said they were cornflower blue. Hair blonde, though not so blonde as when I went to the hairdresser every week. And I know I look older than I do in the photo, but it's been a very tough year. Have you many belongings in your car? Mrs. Patel asked. The car was packed to the gills. Clothes, pots and pans, dishes, the computer her daughter Gervais had insisted she take so they could email each other, a box with important papers scrawled on the top. Who knew what was in that? Framed family photos, Grandma and Grandpa Duke in farm clothes, her parents' wedding photo, one DeVoe had taken of her sitting near the pool in their first house, two-year-old Gervais in her lap, five-year-old Eugene at her side, a scarlet cyclamen plant she couldn't bear to part with. A line drawing of embracing lovers she'd taken from the bedroom. A coffee grinder. Five pounds of coffee beans. Three boxes of Godiva chocolate. Admittedly an extravagance. But who knew if she'd be able to get such things in Florabama? And boxes and boxes of books. Her well-worn Jane Austens. Leather-bound classics she'd bought for the home library but had never had time to read. College sociology text, probably useless, she'd pulled out of the attic. A clutch of self-help books given by well-meaning friends. How to cope, how to rebuild your life after divorce, how to manage your finances, that she couldn't bear to read, but didn't want to throw away. May Sarton's Journal of a Solitude, and a blank journal she'd promised herself she'd write in daily. Yes, she admitted I do have rather a lot of things in the car. Mrs. Patel shouted. 
Pavati! Swiped the MasterCard through the machine, then turned her head and called again. Parvati, quickly, to help the lady with her bags. A teenage girl wearing the international costume of youth, jeans, T-shirt, and running shoes, her black hair frizzed in an unbecoming perm, wandered out carrying a plate of rice and curry. Sorry to interrupt your supper, Bonnie said. Have I not told you that food is not acceptable in reception? Mrs. Patel snapped. Then, reverting to the masterpiece theater accent, This is my daughter, Parvati. My name's Patty, the girl said. Parvati, Mrs. Patel insisted. The lady is having many things in her car. Please do help her bring them to her room. Parvati sighed. Ma, there's a hurricane watch on. I mean, who's going to want to burgle a car in a storm like this? The lady has been driving alone through the storm, and she is most distressed, Mrs. P. explained with murderous calm. If you put her in room 101 and she pulls in under the lights, her stuff will be perfectly safe, Parvati reasoned. Not wanting to be part of a domestic dispute, Bonnie looked past them to see an American flag pinned alongside a Confederate flag and a calendar from Vandu's ethnic grocery. The calendar featured a four-armed baby elephant wearing a tiara and garlands of flowers. Next to the calendar was a No Pets sign with exclamation marks in red magic marker to show it meant business. She's right, Bonnie said.